Welcome to Indefensive Humanity. This is Austerese Oz Miller. Today on the podcast, we have Frank Easterlin. Frank, please introduce yourself. Hi, uh, Asterisk. I am Frank, as you just said, and I am currently um, waiting to go to grad school at the moment for a master's in poetry. I work at a law firm in Atlanta. And uh, I'm a proud graduate of Young Harris College, where I majored in English. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And Frank, you, you picked our topic for today as well. It was, what was it? A poem is to something as a cat is, a, or a poem is about something the way a cat is about a house. Yeah. So I uh, had the opportunity of logging into a Zoom it wasn't really a meeting it was kind of a lecture um held by Kaveh Akbar who is a um very well known and and prolific contemporary poet who Mm -hmm. puts a lot of not only poetry but writes for things like the Paris Review and has his own blog and, and has given several interviews and he and he answered a question with that quote I don't remember the question exactly but I remember that he said he is a fan of reading poems or saying that poems are about something the way a cat is about a house. And I think mm-hmm. he's reacting to the, to the sentiment that um, poems don't mean what they say. They really mean something else. And that has seemed, that has always been a, a, like a give and take. I've always noticed that some folks like to read poems and not read into them much, but have the love and appreciation just as thorough and deep as people who do read into them or try and find a little secondary meaning. And uh, yeah, I just want to talk about that balance with you today as someone who is not only a great thinker about literature and poetry, but someone who has written poems as well. Oh, I have, I have indeed written poems i i do think on occasions um i'll say i've written several poems and i've compiled them i've bound them into a work which is more than i could ever say hey hey in reality though i've written a few poems and then i wrote some words on a page i put them together just to say i did it I wouldn't call myself a poet. <laughs> I'd call myself a person who has written poetry. Nice, nice. Like, I can't take the title. I can call you a poet. I can't call myself a poet. Oh, I am. I am. I am to a real poet what a YouTube cook is to a Michelin star chef. Ah. Uh, and I think you're underclassing your major YouTube cooks out there. Binging mm-hmm. Abish, um, yes, Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. Those are real deals. They might as well be chefs. They have. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about someone who like just cooks a lot. Doesn't make you. I don't know. I don't know. 
maybe that was a poor metaphor. That's why I'm not a poet. See? Yeah. Yeah, for certain. Wow. Wow. I didn't even know where to go. Hmm. So what, what do you want to take it? What? So when you read a poem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for the first time or for the millionth time, what are you looking for in that poem? So let's think back to a, to an to an English class, I guess, and yeah. you've been taught a poem. Uh, mm-hmm. What were you taught, and how were you taught it? And do you agree with that? For example, let's take the let's take the um, be, let's be more specific. The mm-hmm. ice cream is a short poem um, that I remember having and loving. Um, but I remember basically that that poem, and I'm doing air quotes, means that if you control what is fleeting, then you can really have some control. Um, so why wouldn't why wouldn't a, why wouldn't a poet just say that? Or is that the only thing a poet means? So uh, what do you think about that? Poets meaning something, having a having a having a an agenda to their poem. Do you buy that? I, I maybe maybe. See, see, see. If if I say yes, right, then I know for certain I'm not a poet, right. So oh, I have to I have to accept this. Yeah. Um. But I'll say not a poet, but Green, who wrote like um. Searching for Alaska, it was a book and then a Hulu series. Uh He said, once I finish writing something, I might have my intentions, but it is up to the to the reader to know what it is Mm -hmm. um, and to interpret it. And I think for poetry specifically, because a a poet is not called like the author, they're called the speaker, Mm -hmm. that, that there is always intentionality with poetry. So I think in order to write, you are in a place you may the words on the page may not mean something specifically to you, but you are in a space to where you can write it. Thus, you had intentions for writing that. Very true. Very true. I don't know if that, if that necessarily means that, like, like people often rip on Rupi Coward, uh, <laughs> New Age, New Age poetry, you know, um, and then because like everyone on Instagram is posting. You know, you have some upcrop poets who are using her same exact style. Uh-huh. And then people are like, this isn't real poetry. And then other people are like, I love this. This is my favorite poetry. Right. Like, I, I hate uh, Shakespeare, but I love Rupi Kaur. I was like, see, that's dangerous. This is why you guys are being attacked on social media. <laughs> because you, you say that you don't like Plutarch or Meter. Um, yet you say you, you love this book and um, this poetry book. And you say, I love this poetry book, but you're saying basically I hate everything about traditional poetry. But I like that she modified it to her will. Mm-hmm. So I can like this. Yeah, the those sentiments give me trouble as well. I, I don't want to. I mean, I bet Rupi Kaur outsells. I'll go ahead and say it. I bet Rupi Kaur outsells every major contemporary poet. Oh, without a doubt. I have no doubt of this. Yeah, once, I mean, she's young. Mm-hmm. She's um, she's well-spoken for sure. Yeah. She's confident. 
I'm not confident enough to say that, you know, I I know what her stereotype is and I've like seen a couple of her poems, but she releases thick books of short poems. I'm yeah. not taking the time to sit down with a book and see if there is any um anything to her poems other than face value. But I guess that's what that's what our discussion today is about, is that what what is there besides face value in poem? Um, why are poems so uh, so attractive? Obviously, um, her images are fairly accessible, and so are her lengths. And she uses line breaks to mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. heighten the emotion of her poems. Because if you just said, for instance, this could be a this could be a Rupi poem. I'm pretty sure it's close to one. Um, he took my arm and left me without it. Yeah. That's not a, that's, mm, mm-hmm. that's not great. but you put it on a blank page, you put it in the center, you break it up a couple of times and you put it in sort of a melodramatic context, then you might be able to, mm-hmm. that's what she did. I haven't, how does that compare to other poems in her work? I haven't, I haven't done that work, but Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. sentence broken up into something that looks like poetry. Um, if it sells in the poetry section, I guess it's technically poetry. I don't have a better definition than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if, if, if there's more to a poem, why did she write that? What, let, for example, how about this? Uh, something that people often say is that there's more, there's more to a poem than just the meaning behind it. There's the experience of reading the poem. Mm-hmm. Rupi Kaur means that I am heartbroken beyond fathomable belief. Uh, why wouldn't she just say that? Why does she say that my arm is um, that my that you took my arm and left me without it? You know, I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. There's there is that there to it, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we're walking in circles here. Uh, yeah, for for certain. Um... So if, if, because it sells in the poetry section, we're going to say that it is poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, I also don't want to be attacked on, on social media for, for calling out Rupi Kaur, um, Kaur. Because I, um, I, I did, I read her biography. I, I watched a few interviews with her. I read her books, the first two books. Mm-hmm. Um, so Milk and Honey and the, and the Sun and Her Flowers, yeah. something like this. Um, cause my sister has them. Um, and so I read the, the background. Um, I read why it's lowercase mm-hmm. and, and why it's like genitive in the way that it is written mm-hmm. because it's based on her language as an immigrant or, wow. uh, the daughter of immigrants from, uh, um, a region where um from india i believe um yeah yeah that's yeah, that's exactly why i said i haven't taken the time to dive into it because just because i don't see something that's not there on the page doesn't mean it's not there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely so so but this then right i can read sonnet 40 sonnet number 40 by uh william shakespeare mm-hmm. and immediately feel the presence of that piece yeah without knowing who William Shakespeare is, right? I can read sonnets by Plutarch and know 
what he's feeling, mm-hmm. right? Keep in mind, right? This person may be a racist. This person may be a misogynist, whatever. But what I'm reading right now, I can interpret. And then if you tell me more after this, then I'm going to be like, okay, okay. So I, I was very generous with this, as Adorno would say. I was extremely mm-hmm. generous. Um, and I, I probably should not have been. But I can't extend that generosity to, to Coward without knowing who she is first. Sure. There's not enough. It's not to say there's not enough substance, but there aren't enough fragments to interpret in each individual piece without the entire work. Right. That's why she has a poetry book. I wouldn't call it a poetry collection because without the, the bound sense of it, I don't think I can interpret them individually. They're just words. They're just phrases. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And who's not to say that just like there are other aspects to a single poem that fits on a single page, that she make a poem out of a book of semi-poems, poems but not poems, mm-hmm. and then put, mm-hmm. bind them together and make a poetic book filled with things Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Poetry filled with things that, that aren't poems. And so you and, and we're getting to exactly um that that problem of interpretation is uh are we supposed to, I guess my initial question was, are we supposed to interpret poetry at face value or do poems mean something? And of course I think there's a balance there, and that's that's kind of what we're thumbing at. Um and knowing all those things about Rupi Kaur is to say that we are reading into a meaning, I guess, mm-hmm. but we're reading into it and not just experiencing it at face value. Because I've experienced some of her poems at face value, and by that, I'm just like mm-hmm. scanning my eyes across the wor- across the uh, words. Um, yeah, I think that's fascinating. Where where does and I guess interpretation really comes down to value. Where do we find the value in the poems? Do we find the value in the experience of engaging with the poem or do we find the value in the meaning of the poem? If a poem um, is meaningless or nonsense, does it still have value to it, to ourselves, not value, commercial value or anything, but, uh, but to the reader? And I, and I kind of, I guess not to push a, an agenda. I kind of knew that going into this. That of course, it's subjective to the reader. But I just think that's mm-hmm. fascinating that that we can have a thing that we all agree is poetry, and then one that term is is wide enough to describe a book of things that aren't poems that we consider a book of poetry, and things like mm-hmm. super traditional poems written uh, back before anyone had any sense. Um, can I, I pulled up a poem for you. Can I read, can I read it to you really quick? Um, it's a short ish poem. Um, I'll go ahead and read it. I don't think it's going to take more than 60 seconds or so. So it's go giants by Nick Laird. Okay. Go giants. Go, go gadget legs, go right, go left, go wrong, go west, go down to the sea and ships, go down to the river and pray, go fish, go first, go forth and multiply, go in now and say goodbye, go blind, go deaf, go short, go long, go depressed, go to pot, go fuck yourself, go straight, go braves, go jumping away, go hard, go hide, go down with a cape of, go eight, go without, go patriot, go halves, go slow, go under the knife, go under the sign of the war shaft. 
go warm better, go great guns, go south, go out in the midday sun, go red, go blonde, go vandals, go tell it on the mountain, go and sin no more, go compare, go nuclear, go back to east and from E8. Go cowboys, go redskins, go naked, go to ground, go ahead, go abroad, go to grass, go slack, go all ironic, go down in the cold up, go titans, go for the sake of, go saints, go fly a kite, go against it, go gaga. Go and love to serve the go and help. Go directly to jail. Go down in flames. Go up in smoke. Go for broke. Go talent ready. Go tell the Spartans. Go to hell. Go into detail. Go for the throat. Hmm. Weird one. Yeah, yeah. It it definitely reminds me though of like um, from the Vortices Journal blast number. Yeah. One. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of like that that mid Victorian romantic um type of manifesto where it's like giving giving like interrogatives like do mm-hmm. this what are we doing it's like the the statements ask themselves a question because whenever you're reading it or or someone's or you're in the audience and then you're hearing it it's like why why what is this but then you have to keep up because i i guarantee it's being read just as quickly. Yeah, as you and you it. do have to keep up. And so there is, uh, it also makes me think of, oh, and I am going to butcher her name, M. Norbesti Phillips, um, mm-hmm. who is, I guess you would say, an experimental poet, but she, I think she, I might be misgendering that person, uh, but she writes in poems that break down and poems that sound like a person drowning. And so what's the meaning behind a poem that sounds like a person drowning? Is the meaning the experience? How do we, you know, what side of the scale do we use to approach poems like that? And poems like Go Giants, where it seems to be just a list of themes. I mean, it has rhythm and it has poignancy, um, Mm. but do we determine meaning from it? Uh, do we have a thesis about this poem? I have a thesis about this poem because I wrote a paper on this poem, but that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's only because maybe I, I fabricated one out of it. There's a great, there's another great poem by Billy Collins about teaching poetry. And he says, essentially, I don't remember the whole poem, that he wants his students to get inside a poem like a room and feel around the walls until they find a light switch. But instead they tie it to a chair and beat the meaning out of it. <laughs> so how do we know when we're feeling around for a light switch? How do we know when we've tied it to a chair and have beat the meaning out of it? You know, I guess it's yeah. whatever method allows you to find value, personal value in the poem, whether or not you like it. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about it? Uh, some poem recently or in a class you might remember that you interpreted in a way you didn't think you would have or the first time you're like method of interpretation challenge yeah yeah what what is it um home by by who is it orson was it um i have to search this real quick because yeah, i googled uh, go down yeah yeah Oh, it is Warson Shire. Okay. So home, basically it goes like home is the is the mouth of a shark. Home is a loaded gun. So it's like you you don't necessarily Warson Shire is an immigrant, I think from Somalia. 
um, to the United Kingdom. So she said she doesn't necessarily feel comfortable at the time of writing a poem. This represents her sentiments from whenever she was younger. She doesn't necessarily feel that this place, England, mm-hmm. is home. But home, what she considers, is the mouth of a shark. Home is a loaded gun. So it's like I interpreted, oh, home is a place that will destroy you. It'll kill you. Right. It's a loaded gun, um, which is actually a loaded statement, considering the state of um, the West, as well as Somalia right now. Both places are a loaded gun, home or mm-hmm. not home. Um, so I was I was very, very hit by that poem. I thought it was interesting. Um, I wrote a paper or two on it as well. This was with um, Dr. Bowman. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was it was very inspirational. So I guess you said that poem hit you, and yet you have this um, this meaning to pull from it. I guess um, mm-hmm. without making poetry sound too much like a tool, and as the value of my question might be nothing. My question is why why write a poem? You can just say I don't have a home, but both homes I have are somewhat dangerous. Yeah. Why write a poem? Oh, because I feel people speak in prose all the time. Like this podcast to most will be like, Oh, this is mad boring. Two guys talking about <laughs> poetry. But if we did it in 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 um a different meter, right? Uh, a different mm-hmm. syntax as Shakespeare often did to match iambic pentameter or like Plutarch with um, sextameter, mm-hmm. we, we get to a point where people have to pay attention or they'll lose something. Like with standard, po- with standard prose, you can hear someone and not listen and then still get the gist of it after they finish yeah. speaking by listening to how they wrapped it up, how they began it and somewhere so, in the middle. With yeah, poetry... Yeah, with I feel with poetry you have to listen, so it almost or you have to read through. So I feel like it 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 enables you to not have a choice. It doesn't force you, but it enables you to not have a choice. You still have a choice. It's just you will be that person who's completely in um, interpreting it in a way that no one. So else it sees. is both a rhetorical instrument and entertainment. Rhetorical instrument that if you have something to say, you can use a poem to say it in order to. In, in order to make sure your audience hears it, but it, but in in order to make sure your audience hears it, you can provide it in an interesting and more entertaining way than I guess prose. Is that kind of like what you're saying? Yes. And I wonder if, and I, I certainly don't want to imply that, that is why we write poetry. Uh, I think the implication mm-hmm. might be that is why poems work. Yes. And not necessarily like uh, a manipulative tool to our mm-hmm, audience mm-hmm. to agree with us. Absolutely. Abs- yeah, yeah. Because there are many poems, like I think of, um, what are you, um, like New Age mm-hmm. poems, like neo, new, and liberal, but not to be confused with yeah. neoliberal, which is a wholly <laughs> different thing. Uh, but like a new 
liberal style of poetry is obviously harbins back to um, romanticism with the with the the passionate speech. We have choruses, and I, I you've probably seen this before. Like button poetry often has um, poetry shows, which are choruses of of women or men talking about their trauma. So they finish each other's sentences, and then whenever they need the force to be added, they all speak in in uh, consonants, and then they they also represent represent the dissonance of each other by speaking at the same time but speaking different words which is how they were thinking because they were thinking multiple ideas at once how am i going to solve this problem uh what's happening right now so they all represent the the chorus of emotions happening in the in the speaker and i feel that most poems have to be spoken aloud um in order to have the the power but i agree with you that poetry is not necessarily written to be manipulative because those types of poetry are like slam poetry are not everyone's cup of tea so the best way to write poetry is just to find the biggest um political group um in your in your area and then just write something that agrees with them and then you'll get funding and you'll become very famous that that is uh one way to do it i'm sure folks have done it that way um, oh yeah. man, I just had a question or thought. What was it? Mm-hmm. It came to me when you're talking about the crowd of, of speakers. Um, oh man, I lost it. Darn it. Oh well, we can still we can still continue to talk about the experience. So one of the major things, oh I think this is where I was going. One of the major things about mm-hmm. that crowd was that there were several aspects of that. Um, I want to call it poem, but of that poetry, that type mm-hmm. of poetry or that poem that they're performing that are beyond the, that are beyond the words on the page that convey mm-hmm. meaning nonetheless, which is an idea because yes. we don't, really know what things mean until we can explain them with words we can gain a feeling from something but we only know that that what that feeling is because we have a word for it you use the word dissonance mm. you use the words um power when they spoke so you're interpreting their actions putting them into words and then deriving uh, a meaning of the action based on the words you've used to describe that action it's a fascinating thing that our brains do. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess I guess they're like dislocating meaning from what could be word usage in order for you to mm-hmm. pick up that meaning. Um, I skimmed poorly Ed Hirsch's "How to Read a Poem and Fall in Love with Poetry," and one of his points was that poems are conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm between speaker slash writer and reader. And I guess a conversation is different from a lecture in that a lecture is really one way. And you have to put something into a conversation in order to make it not a lecture. I guess a poem or just Mm -hmm. prose, an essay, like if those people were saying trauma is both unifying and um, dissonant, 
both a chord and uh yeah both harmonizing and, and dissonant um then that would be sort of a lecture and they bring you into it by removing the meaning putting that meaning into um non-verbal performances like mm-hmm. they would do it with their voices however other poems do it with tone and diction and line breaks and metaphor and other things mm-hmm. like that. So that's interesting. It's a way of bringing you in. But that's still, that still points me back towards the manipulative aspect of poetry. And maybe poetry is Let's see if we can't think of a way around it. Well, I, I, I see what you're saying. I do, I do. But you even said conversation, right? To me, I think of conversation and argument as synonymous, but not the combative school of yeah. argument that most um, English speakers think of, right? Argument as um, throwing around subjects and predicates, subjects and and prepositions, verbs, objects mm-hmm. to get to a point, right? Literally conversation, right? Uh, someone who is listening to the podcast tell me they hate whenever I get into etymology because <laughs> it, it just, they, they, they're like, yeah, I stopped listening. Me, I love it. <laughs> But, but like conversation, right? Conversare is literally with con, um, not in French, then it means yeah. a bad word, but versare uh, to, to flip or verses. So with you, I am throwing things back and forth with you. So I think poetry, as you said, as, as you said, I, I fully hear you and I agree with you hearing poetry is conversation maybe instead of saying poetry is manipulative maybe we could say poetry is empathetic because it allows you that space to give back Uh, it considers what you have and opens up a space for you to put what you have into that poem because you think about an essay an essay must be tight an argument to be believed must be tight there must not be any space or else that argument leaves itself open to be invalidated i don't think poems have that worry being invalidated maybe if someone is is working on a bad metaphor and their and their metaphor is a little bit more wily than they can control but maybe are manipulative uh, that might be the wrong way of thinking about it maybe poems are, are a more empathetic way of expressing what whatever it is you need to express or getting across whatever it is you need to get across because in saying that getting it across means i have something to tell you i'm giving it one way uh, and i don't really care what you have to say back but but poems don't do that they don't get it across in the way that it's just the way they they leave they leave uh, a lot of room. I'm thinking of the poem. So much depends on the white chickens, you know. Um, so much depends mm-hmm. on the red wheelbarrow left out in the rain next to the I forget how the tiny little poem goes, but I think it's William Carlos Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, so much depends on on so little. What do you think about? I'm not interpreting the poem at this point, but it depends on on how you think about what you're engaging with. Is it manipulative, trying to get something across, insidiously trying to get something across to you, or is it empathetic, allowing you space to put in what it has purposefully left out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Oh, whenever you say space, purposefully left out, immediately I go to uh, the theme of my junior and first half of my senior year mm-hmm. of my undergrad, uh, which is the word kairos, Greek. It's one of the words for time or rhetorical timing, space, like the breath. Um, and I overuse this. And I know Dr. Dickman hates me for it. Dr. Bowman probably threw away half of my papers because of it. But it's specifically um, the Kairos is whenever this is how you can tell if someone's a good uh, rhetorician or if they're this is what makes a conversation awkward or not. Um, leaving the space. Uh, Christians would say in, in Christian dances, leave a little room yeah. for God. You know, it's it's that space mm-hmm. that you leave for thought to mm-hmm. intercede. So it's it's in public speaking or or these presentations of poems, which is why we can come back to Rupi Kaur, which is why I don't think it has good kairos mm-hmm. in those small poems. But first, um, in those spaces, like you say, it leaves out things to be interpreted. Yeah. This is why, once yeah. A, yeah, yeah, for for poets are called speakers instead of writers because they it's a necessity of poetry to be spoken. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because in that, in the same um, Zoom lecture with Kavar, uh, he was talking mm-hmm. about um, the value that breaking a poem brings to the poem. And by breaking, he means when a poem breaks mm-hmm. down and he used a very famous example. I don't remember the title of it um, or the name, but Those Winter Sundays by... Oh, God. Someone's going to shoot me when they realize that I don't know who wrote that. Um, I know that that Dr. May would have a cow. But Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden. There it is. At least I think that's not right. That's very embarrassing. But essentially, the poem describes... Um, uh, the speaker's father getting up and doing the hard chores on cold winter Sundays. And it kind of by saying, what did I know? What did I know of love's lonely and austere offices? And it's that double, what did I know? What did I, and that's that Kairos that you're talking about. It's leaving a lot of space. You can imagine that person kind of mm-hmm. like staring out the window going, what did I know? Mm-hmm. What did I know about love's lonely and so they're they're breaking the poem it's it is it's information and description all the way up until that moment all the way up until i know what did i know Mm -hmm. why do you put that in there twice why do you why is that pause in there Mm -hmm. interesting interesting to think yeah yeah because to mention prose again right where we're taught in academia to write prose not how you speak but how you would you would address someone of the highest mm-hmm. uh, register, like like how you would speak to the pre- well, how you would mm-hmm. speak to former presidents, is mm-hmm. how you should write. Um, so it's like you don't add spaces, mm-hmm. you don't add the ums, you don't you don't just put ellipsis just because that's how you were thinking. You you had a gap in your thought. You don't uh, repeat words like in acting. You watch a television show and you never really in mm-hmm. most shows see someone stutter even though most people from time to time have a pause in their speech that's what i like about poetry versus prose because people often write their their impediments or how they would actually speak it going mm-hmm. back to the speaker um, whereas prose 
is just like straight information, especially I know mine <laughs> is, is unbearable. Whenever I write prose, nope, I don't even want to read that. It's just trying to get all the information out. <laughs> I get in trouble for length. Uh, whereas with poetry, I, I, I feel it. Um, have you ever, have you ever words. read a poem that you absolutely mm -hmm. did not interpret at all and you loved it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I have. What, um, let me think. Let me think. There are poems that I have read and that haven't made any sense to me. And then I think about it, I dig into, and then I fall in love with the poem thoroughly. As thoroughly mm -hmm. as a poem that I read and I didn't grasp immediately that I don't like, oh, I know what the poem means. Um, mm -hmm. I just am shocked at the end of it. And I don't know what that author's trying to tell me, but I enjoyed what they had to say. Mm -hmm. I think I think the one that I read was, or the collection I read, and then I took like a few of those without interpreting them. Is Once mm -hmm. by Alice Walker. So I read a few of those going like in my head. I was like, oh, she understands the experience of an African-American um, living in uh, trials and tribulations. I'm just going to take these in. And then I, I realized I was just flipping through pages, you know, like a Rupi Cower book, which in my opinion is incredibly disrespectful to, to Alice Walker. And mm -hmm. I was like, I still feel everything. You know, it's, it's not like, it's so powerful because I can, without interpreting, mm -hmm. I feel the energy that she put in. But that also comes mm -hmm. from seeing her as a speaker, like, like talking, just like doing seminars mm -hmm. or, or lectures singer in public so speaking you didn't have to I think that poem you had already felt yeah, yeah. the feelings that poem were trying to give you mm -hmm. yes absolutely that is fascinating because i wonder if we could call that an interpretation i don't know enough about the philosophy of what mm -hmm. is interpreting mm -hmm. i don't know even if that's the mm -hmm. right term for it but um is that a sort sort of interpretation, a a meaning finding, even though you didn't really look for one? Find meaning mm. as in value, mm. but you didn't find meaning as in thesis about the poem. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Since you brought up um, philosophy, just like give give me ten yeah, seconds. Well, I don't need any My more friend. than that. Cut me off. Uh, uh, so. The, the term synthetic a priori comes to mind. Mm. So a priori, the before, and then the synthesis combining before and then sort of a passive experience as opposed mm. to a posteriori, which is something that you can only mm. learn after experience, but sort of a mixture of all of these because I'm synthesizing from what I'm reading mm -hmm. from previous experience. So like a synthetic a posteriori. So like I'm building yeah. something after I've already experienced. Yeah, and I think you're myself. getting at something that that is the most intoxicating um, effect of poetry is that it puts words. It kind of tell. Oh God, I, I don't want to butcher this, but it shows you a new way of feeling something you've already felt. So. For me, 
I don't, I don't even know how I can explain that. Um, I'll just, I'll, I'll use the moose by Elizabeth Bishop. Um, and if you don't know the moose, then okay. you are sorely, sorely missing out. But it is a long, wandering poem that is full of. Mm -hmm. So in the, this is a, a little quick aside. In the food industry, they have something called mouthfeel. How does the food feel in your mouth? mouthfeel of mm -hmm. moose mm -hmm. of the moose is just incredible and then it's got it's full of rhythm and rhyme but it's always surprising and it's never sing-songy it's full of texture and detail and if you've ever mm -hmm. really savored the traveling part of a trip not the sightseeing or the or the the vacation and I don't even mean a vacation type of trip mm -hmm. i just mean like a trip to the grocery store or a martyr ride into work if you've ever savored that moment of travel it's like oh i never knew that i had this feeling until elizabeth bishop told me how to feel about it you know but she's not she's not yeah dictating how i feel she just gave me a new way of seeing how i felt and i think that you're and that's one of the most intoxicating mm -hmm. things that paul do that oh this experience mm. is like this other thing i've never thought about it like that and that is amazing and brilliant um yes maybe that's why we write poetry just to have that that little that little experience right there i don't know see see i i i hear everything i um i hear everything you're saying that's why we write poetry and i i believe you I, I do. I truly do. And I do write poetry for these reasons as well. But to bring up a, um, a little known work of mine <laughs> that shall remain unnamed. Uh, uh, I feel as though I wrote these because I mm. had nothing better to do. And I did my best to break as many rules um, that, that Jim made would probably be dismayed yeah. if he had this book. <laughs> um, I, I purposefully misspelled words. I, I repeated words. Um, I used terrible syntax and grammar. Um, I just tried to make a mess of it. And the sad thing is, people who have it, um, like some people who, who like actually bought it, like left reviews on whatnot, and said, I love this. This has so much feeling. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this is bad. I was like, I, is this what Rupi Kaur did? You know, not coming for her or anything. But I'm sure she actually put in real emotion. But I was like, if someone buys something, they're going to uh, convince themselves that somebody wasn't sure. like doing something unnecessarily. Like, you put in your heart and your soul in this. So even though, and it's like, a person reading this, even though it's garbage, I'm gonna comment and say it's good because I know they put their soul into this. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about people saying, "Oh, I love this," because like uh, the the person gave themselves into it, or like saying, "Oh, I love," uh, let's say, "Taming of the Shrew." Taming of the Shrew is brill brilliant. Um, I love Shakespeare, and it's like you can still like Shakespeare. And dislike some of his works. It it doesn't make you hate. I'm thinking them. of a couple of things. Um, 
So let's say you like release a poem. You ask the Reese, but a writer releases mm -hmm. a poem and doesn't put everything there into it, but they present it in a way that convinces someone mm -hmm. that they have done, let's say, binds it and sells it. I think it's funny that the commercial, um, the commercialization price literally assigns creative value to something to believe that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'm thinking is um, maybe a lesser poem has left so much open to the reader that the reader has too much space to interpret what they might from it. Which makes me think of a Seamus Heaney quote that good poems contain their own keys. Which is a paraphrasing of what he meant, but good poems point to how point the reader good poems are self-conscious about how they're read. Good poems point the reader in the direction of how they want to be read. They being how the poems want themselves to be read. Um, so if you don't have that in a poem, is it a good poem? Well, I don't know. It's that, that sounds like a rule in poem and poets are famous for breaking rules and maintaining their creative products as poetry. So again, it's all, it just comes back to that balance of, is it, how do you interpret a poem? Is interpretation the wrong way of thinking about engaging with a poem? I was reading Frank O'Hara poem to a, to a person one time and I started to do my thing. I was like, oh, look what he's done here and this, that, and the other. And she's just like, I don't want to hear it. Hearing how you came to value on this Frank O'Hara poem is going to lessen the mm -hmm. value I cut from it. You heard it and she was like, oh, it's immediately okay. golden. And I hear it and I hear interesting metaphors and great you know use of assonance and consonants mm -hmm. and sound and rhythm and, and, and all the things that frank o'hara is great at mm -hmm. um maybe she is hearing those things and doesn't have names for them or maybe she's just hearing in a totally different mm -hmm. way than i'm hearing maybe we're hearing the same thing and they're calling and 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 having different reactions to it or maybe we're not hearing the same things and and I just think that's fascinating, and she and she is was a was a poet and has read tons more than I do. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's just fascinating to me that, that the same poem can hit two people can hit two people in the same way, but the value that they derive from that poem, um, the method of the value. Uh, it can be so different because it, it hit us both. It's the same poem. We both love it. But the way we got to love that poem is just so wildly different. Yes. And I, and I guess it might be useful mm. to determine when you use that. It's the experience of engaging with the poem that is valuable versus what the poem has to say or the experience of um, the experience of reading into the poem. Edgar Allan Poe used to say that there was a, and I thank Dr. Bruin for this quote. Um, used to say that there's there's mm -hmm. the surface, and then there's one deeper level, just like a few inches down, and and that real meaning is on that second level. And 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 Matthew Zapruder, who wrote a book of prose about poetry called Why Poetry, says that no, 
there is no second level. Everything a poem has is on its face value. And maybe that, maybe he means to say that all interpretation is interpretation of what's at face value. It's an interpretation of the use of metaphor. It's an interpretation of the use of line rate, of tone and diction, of, of the word cavalier instead of horseman. Uh, but that's, that's mm. still on the surface. You cannot see what is not there. You can only assign meaning to what is. So maybe that's what he meant. I just think it's a, if we're going to think about poetry, then it's an interesting way to think about it, which, which brings me, I really want to say this. Um, I feel a little bit, not guilty, but indulgent sitting here talking to you, my friend, about something that I really like as we're in a world where mm-hmm. um, material, I'm sorry, poetry is material, but um, mm-hmm. we're sitting in a violent world of injustice. Talking about how to read um, we are. go-go gadget legs and, and, and oh, actually I can make a good argument that that poem mm-hmm. has a lot to do with our world. Uh, of but um, mm-hmm. when we say that poems aren't about things or that they are about a, a house, that they are about a thing the way the house, the way a cat is about a house, which is to say that they kind of mm-hmm. dismiss the thing that they are about. How do you read things like Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin? I'm probably butchering that too. How do you, how do you read mm-hmm. um, poems that are so clearly about something very serious a topic that is unmistakable it's not yes it's not about black experience mm-hmm. the way the cat is about a house it is the fucking house mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah well well so so whenever you suggested this um in the scheduling process i read it and i looked it up and then the only results I got for the Google search were the quote itself. So it's like, wow. okay, I'm going to have to interpret this for myself. So I, I was thinking about it and I was like, cool. So the poem is about something um, as the cat is about the house. And I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, people in a house welcome the cat, but the cat's pretty nonchalant mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. most things to do with the house so is the poem maybe attached to the thing but the poem itself is free to live Mm -hmm. through anything through any interpretation am i fully wrong is the poem independent and has its things and then we attribute the poem to something which is what i which is what i feel the quote for me is but also for me it doesn't matter because i didn't write it so um, like, like it matters to me, but my interpretation of the of the quotation. Well, I don't think it is because you're just be thinking irrelevant. about a way. I don't think it's irrelevant because you are thinking about the way that the cat interacts with the house, and that's investigating the metaphor, which is interpretive, which mm-hmm. uh, thinking. And I and I'm sitting here thinking, the cats are nonchalant about the house when investigating that metaphor. So does that mean that the poem is nonchalant about its topic? Some poems? Yeah, sure. Does the, or cats, you know, aren't, they're in and out of the house and they walk. Not, they're not a direct participant. They're not a stable fixture of the house. And, and what if poems 
seek to do, seek to engage with their subject more than the ways a cat would engage about a house. We're probably over investigating that metaphor, but, mm-hmm. but if you think mm-hmm. to, to just, you know, kick a horse while it's down, um, if you think about a house, you can never see an entire house. It's too big. You can see the front of it, see the back of it, see the top of it. Yeah. You can see one room, you can never see about a house. So what if a poem mm-hmm. is um, a painter? What if a poem is about a subject the way a painter is about a house? A poem is about a subject the way a picture is mm-hmm. about a house. You can take a picture of a house that makes it look good. You can take mm-hmm. a picture of a house that makes it look bad. You can take a picture of the garage, garage entrance of the same house. You can take a picture of the hallway mm-hmm. or the grand entrance if it's that kind of, sort of a house. So we're probably over-investigating the metaphor again here, but... Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a slippery thing to, to be uh, dictatorial yeah. about yeah. Uh, coaching. Maybe, maybe Akbar knew what he was doing. I was just like, yeah. I'm going to throw this really loose metaphor out here and just the lives of everyone on this Zoom up. Just make them mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, for, for certain. It, 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 <laughs> That's that's probably exactly what he was thinking, um, but like to think about it in in a way that I usually think. I hear people you you've definitely heard people say this like I'm from I should have been born in a different time and like something to do with the time has something to do with like cholera, uh, you know, uh, Yersinia pestis, yeah. the Black Plague, some something or other. Where, where they definitely wouldn't have wanted to be in that time if they were born in that time. And I think of poetry as well. People go like, oh, this relates to me so well. Sonnet 51 relates to me so well. And I'm like, really? It's like, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, yes, yes. He's talking about something specific. Like if you look at it, just, just take it for face value by the words. Sure, this exact circumstance could happen to you add like cars phones and not really because you're never actually far from someone else so it's 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 very difficult for me to understand whenever people relate themselves to to um, yeah ideas that are long since passed like pre-industrial ideas whenever people are going like oh this speaks to me so much i'm like cleopatra how she was feeling i was feeling right now i was like that is that's so funny though. Tremendously so, impossible. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, or at least I, I've I've shared that sentiment with you, but yet they have encountered a vehicle of communication that has convinced them that they share something with Cleopatra, which is funny. So it must be the aspects of the vehicle doing the work and not really mm-hmm. and not really how Cleopatra felt how the vehicle is leading yeah, them to feel yeah, um, about Cleopatra felt not really mm-hmm. them identifying mm-hmm. with Cleopatra, which makes poetry sound manipulative again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because you said the word vehicle, uh, it just sparked in my mind uh, a long time ago. Um, 
uh, I was reading, you know, do, doing some research for some reason. And I think of Mahayana Buddhism, the greater vehicle, which is the path leads you to, uh, to where you must be or where you must not be. The vehicle takes you where, and then it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it never actually finishes a sentence. Um, and then Theravada is like the law justifies you follow according to mm-hmm. the same tenets as the Buddha and you shall arrive. So it's like completely different ways of thinking. Mahayana is like the greater vehicle. So you go with it and it'll take you there. Theravada is like you you yeah. hold hard to the law. Like it's similar similar in monotheism, right? In in Islam, for, for most sects of Islam, you, you hold mm-hmm. to the law and the law will set you free. In in Christianity, mm-hmm. you hold to a few tenets, but but Christ has already uh, freed you from the law. So it's it's like this, um, like like this is why it's this new age um, way of thinking about ancient ideas. Like they feel they have been free yeah. to think, as you say, through this vehicle, that this uh, poetry as a manifestation. Of I don't want to say yeah Christ. I really don't want to say that but this poetry as a manifestation of of, of the thing the, the that both of being um takes you and what you want to follow so it is both a vehicle that yeah. gives you drive to get there but it is also something that you mm-hmm. want to hold to. What I'm so if I'm hearing you correctly, there's a vehicle. Yes. The vehicle will take you, and there's the path, and you must stay on the right path, and that's up to you. Then I guess, and mm-hmm. to relate that back to poetry, poetry might be the the uh, the middle of those two things. It being a vehicle that carries you, but you're also mm-hmm. powering it. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. I don't think I was, I don't think I thought it completely through until you said poetry is the middle, like like the the middle way. Uh, the the poetry is the way, way to nirvana. nirvana. That that's, we can end this podcast. Nice. <laughs> wow, poetry is the way to nirvana. And then we just and both damn good poets at that. And ascend. I wish it was that easy. I wish we could think ourselves into being yeah. poets. That unfortunately is impossible. Yeah. Actually, actually, I do think that might be a good ending specifically to this podcast, but I do, if you're free, want to continue this on In Defense of Time. Okay. Um, since our time slot is still open. Well, I unfortunately have to go. I am I'm commandeering um, my girlfriend's father's workspace that I use. So mm. uh, let's pick it up with or without a recording next time. Maybe, uh, maybe with course. a beer instead of a microphone or maybe with a Absolutely. beer and a microphone. Who knows? Hey, hey, we're open to everything. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Frank, for, for coming on the Black. podcast. I really appreciate it. And it um, is it's, so refreshing. It's always to lovely talk to, to you talk as well. To you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, this is.